Sinister Parlor. Sinister Parlor. Sinister Parlor. Sinister Parlor. <laughs> Good evening, fiends. Welcome to another episode of Sinister Parlor Podcast. I'm Zombie Barbie, and tonight I have a very, very special guest who I am honored to call my friend, actor, writer, and producer, Bill Overs Jr. Hello. Hello. Should I call you Zombie Barbie or ZB or what do you, which, which, you can call me whatever you want. Zombie Barbie, ZB, Rhiannon, Re, whatever you okay, want. Okay, good. I wanted to make sure that people knew you were Rhiannon because that's what I'm used to calling you. So hello, Rhiannon. Hello, how are you? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Good. I'm so happy that you came on tonight or today, whatever. It, it'll be nighttime when this airs. So, <laughs> you know, I just started doing my new podcast and I set it at night. And so I just, at first, I was like, well, if it's evening where you are, and then I was just like, screw it. So I just say, good evening. Yes. So then it becomes evening wherever they are. So exactly. It makes it more you. ominous and kind of creepy. <laughs> yeah, totally. People should listen to our kind of podcast in the evening I agree. they should not be like on another tab or on facebook or like facetiming with somebody and going back and forth screw that yeah like you should like turn down the lights and try to have a nice creepy experience because you know what guys and ghouls listening what else are you going to do right now hello <laughs> what You're do you have inside. to do that's so important that you got to do 12 things at one time right now right yeah it's like we're being forced to kind of slow down now so it's like everybody needs to kind of do what you just said turn down the lights and listen to our podcast which your pod i love your podcast gothic good night oh, i'm glad you like it thank you it's great i your voice is so it's like soothing and gentle but like i like how you get into like you'll do the voices and stuff for the characters and it's, it's perfect to put on to listen to as you're going to sleep. You get a scary story. You get to hear Bill Oberst. It's like amazing. I've had a couple of people tell me, and interestingly, it's the women who say this. The guys are like, oh, that's cool. But I've had more than a few women who said, it just put me right to sleep. And I've took it as a compliment. Yeah. Because like, that was the point. Um, yeah, I'm having fun with it because it lets me escape all of this stuff mm -hmm. and imagine being in this gothic library high up on a hill and um yeah. plus i really have always liked like the vincent price kind of vibe yes so i really like saying good evening and welcome to the moonlit library see like, that's i like just imagine beautiful it's a, it's a place like uh, vincent price would be like good evening won't you come in yeah <laughs> I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker for that kind of like classically spooky stuff i like it much better than like guy with an axe chopping you up i really really like like the haunted spooky stuff me too yep i even have some like the old video or um dvds of vincent price um i think i have house on haunted hill um 13 ghosts i believe or yeah. house of wax i have a few of them and it's like it's just it's not the same as it used to be he was, you could get away then with being hammy, and I am hammy in a lot of the stuff I've done, but you know, if you're like in a medium to low quality horror movie, I just think you're allowed to chew the scenery. I want to make it more fun for the viewer. If the viewer's having fun, 
they can overlook the production values. And sometimes, mm -hmm. you know, people do what they can do, but the production values aren't always the best. But if the story's really great. Yeah. Yeah. And then they got to put you in it and you just make everything amazing. So I don't know. I, what I try to do, my motto is don't bitch. And I get a lot of work just from not bitching because they're like, we're going to be in the desert. We're going to be cold and covered with blood. Get Bill because we know he won't complain. <laughs> like whatever they say, don't complain. I just did a movie called um, Bits with D. Wallace was in it and Edward Payson directed it. Oh. So um, he did Cohasset Snuff film, and I, which I really like. And I really wanted to work with Edward. So I did this film and um, we were on the desert and it was night and I got there and I got into the uh, wardrobe trailer and you know where they have your wardrobe laid out mm -hmm. and I got there into my little individual cubicle and um, so there was like this uh, pair of dirty tidy whiteies there and so I was like where's the rest of it and she said that's it <laughs> she said you're lucky because uh, he wanted everybody naked but I told him you couldn't do that so so <laughs> So in, in this movie, and it's really funny because I play like the, uh, the um, father of the lead character. There's a video game from the 80s that he discovers and it comes to life and it'll suck you in through the screen. And so it sucks in his old cynical father, who's me, and he turns into a demon. But the whole thing, like when I'm sitting in the grungy trailer, when I'm with my caregiver, when I'm the demon, when I'm killing the kids, the whole, my body makeup changes, but the whole thing is tidy whities Wow. And I was like, you know what? Okay, then. <laughs> Just go with it and have fun. And some, the few times that I have complained on a set, oh, Rhiannon, I feel so bad. There have been like three times when I've spoken out of turn or said something I shouldn't have. And every one of those remains in my memory forever because I just never want to be the complaining one on set. Mm -hmm. I try really hard and then I flog myself for the few times that I fail. Aww. It's because you have a heart, you know? It's like, you well, know. I'm, I mean, I figure my job is to serve all my customers because I'm a mm -hmm. small businessman. Yeah. So my ultimate customer is the audience. But before that, there's the producer, the director, the wardrobe department, the makeup department, um, the camera department, the AD department, everybody. I need to do my job for all of those departments, too. Mm -hmm. And and it's not about the actor. I mean, you know that it's it's not really about us. We're just yeah. part of a larger team. Oh, yeah, definitely. There's so many people that go into it to make that film and you all have to work together. But with you saying that you bitched, you are probably nothing compared to what they're used to people bitching about. So you take it mm -hmm. as, you know, I never bitch and you probably, you know, you feel bad about it, but you probably weren't even as bad as some of these people have been before. I don't know, but I, I <laughs> each time that I've done it, um, one of which was on Edward's film there about a stunt. I have apologized profusely to the point where I'm sure people are like, stop apologizing. They're like you're but, forgiven. You're fine. <laughs> yeah. But I'm like a self flagellator. I can't, I can't let it go. I always want everybody to be happy and to feel that I've done my job and supported everybody. Cause it's such a team effort. If like mm -hmm. people are like, this movie sucks. And I was like, I wish you knew how many 
people it took to make this movie. Oh, yeah. So maybe you could just say, I didn't like it. But to say that it sucks just kind of like denigrates everybody who worked on it. And well, to yeah. make even a bad, it takes a lot of work even to make a bad movie. It really does. Yeah. You know, it takes money and time and, you know, actors, you know, that's what they're dedicated to while they're doing it. You have, you know, like you said, the whole crew that has to do it, the, you know, the grips and sound and assistant directors and directors and producers. And it's like, people just don't realize how much goes into making a film, whether it's good or bad. Yeah. And, and nobody their... wants, nobody wants to make a bad movie, right? Well, yeah. I mean, like nobody will intentionally spend the kind of money it takes to make a movie to say, I'm going to make a bad movie. And yeah. so when people are like, oh, they just didn't care. I'm like, dude, you've never been in a film set because on the film set, there may be one or two people who don't care, but out of the average hundred people working on a movie, 98 of them, they really do give a damn and they're mm -hmm. trying their best. Oh yeah. They're trying to make it just like everybody else. And it's, yeah, I swear there's people that go on just to bash movies because um, I'm trying to think who I saw on Facebook. It's a director. Um, gosh, I can't remember his name, but I was just reading something and he said, uh, I believe his name was Mike Lombardo. And someone went on there and like gave this really bad review, but it had really nothing to do with the movie. So it's like, they didn't watch it. They're just complaining because right. they're assholes. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Some people do that. The IMBD guys and girls are the worst mm -hmm. because you know, you're trying to build your distribution, you're getting reviews. And then suddenly on IMBD, you have a huge amount of one star ratings. Mm -hmm with no explanation for why they're one star, they're just one. Yeah. A bunch of ones and it pulls down your average and then you have to build it back up. I don't think people realize, they, I guess they just think it's funny mm -hmm. to, I imagine it's kids, I hope it's kids and not adults. But, I've you know, seen oh, some adults that have done one. it and it's like, you guys are jerks. I'm gonna give these ones without realizing that they're really harming a lot of people's livelihoods by you know, jerking around like that. If you've really watched a movie, seen the whole thing, and you have something to say about it, then by all means, say it. And if you hate it, say that you hate it. But mm -hmm. to have not watched it and to bash it, yeah, that's really yeah. lame. Yep. See, I'll never give a bad review on a movie. Um, if I don't like it, I'm just like, oh, okay, well, that wasn't the best movie, but I'll never review it as bad. Because like, you know, like you said, it brings down the ratings. And then also people going, you know, somebody else might like it. If I don't like it, the person the weird thing. I've, I've had movies that are like side by side on the little Amazon reviews. It'll be like, um, you know, uh, incredibly dark, um, gripping horror. And then on the other one, it'll be everything about this movie sucked. Mm -hmm. I'm like, but it's, they saw the same movie. Yeah. So it's really, it's really subjective. Yeah. That's why I, you know, I hate that we're in this um, who's in it culture because, you know, mm -hmm. oh, there's this great movie. You've got to see it, Rhiannon. First question. Who's in it? Who's in it? Yep. Um, <laughs> Jane Doe is in it. Oh, I never heard of her. This That's movie sucks. <laughs> right. As if because I've never heard of a thing, it could not possibly be good. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I hope might come out of all of this experience that we're having right now is a little bit of humbling because we realize now how quickly our lives can just be pulled out from under us. Yeah. 
and our health and everything else. And I hope that we will not be quite so arrogant and sure of ourselves when we get on the other side of it. I sure, I really hope so. It's crazy. Um, you know, I know that you're religious and so am I. And so um, the other day we had an earthquake, a 6.5. And if you know Idaho, that's not normal. Oh, wow. That's a yeah. big earthquake. Yeah. And so I was at work when it happened and, you know, all this, I thought it was a tornado. So I was like, you know, what the heck? Oh my gosh, we're like in the middle of a tornado. And then everything starts moving and this and that. Um, so my friend that works there, um, she comes running out of the bathroom. She's like, there's an earthquake, you know, so we're all kind of freaking out a little bit. Um, well then later she tells my boss, she's like, okay, this is not normal. There was just a tornado in Washington, which isn't normal. We just had an earthquake, which is not normal. If there's a plague of locusts and I think she's, there's something else she said that was with the book of revelation. She's like, I am not coming to work tomorrow. He's like, okay, as long as it's both of those things and you don't have to come. <laughs> uh, like frogs falling from the sky. And oh, geez. It wasn't, I can't remember what it was. It was um, not the water turning to blood, but it was something else. And I was like, uh -huh. I didn't even know that you knew the Bible. <laughs> hmm. Oh, everybody knows Revelations. That's I had a um, an old preacher told me. He said, "Son, he said if I put a sign out front that says I'm preaching on heaven, I'll fill half the church." He said, "But I put a sign out front that says I'm preaching on Revelations and hell, they'll be lined up out the door." That's true. We 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 have a fascination with like apocalyptic things, like oh, the world's ending. And my my theory is that we can't bear to think of the world going on without us. And just like chug it along, like, oh, well, Bill's not here. So what? Oh, look, it's spring. We hate that. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we <laughs> like to think, oh, the world's coming to some climactic end in my lifetime. And I'm a part of it. So I get to be special. You're not special. <laughs> no. The world, really, the world really doesn't care whether the earth, I think, doesn't care whether humans are here or not. We haven't done much to help it along. Agreed. Yeah. No, I definitely agree. Um, mom had always told me. I've, I have never actually read the book of revelations um, just because mom was always like, you know, if you want to know something scarier, if you want to be scared, you know, read the book of revelations, but don't read it because it's really going to scare you. And so I've always been super scared to read it. But I mean, just through all the years of, you know, growing up, I know parts of it and it's like, it's terrifying. And sometimes I'll just sit there and kind of look up little things. And I'm like, that's really scary. There's a yeah, lot it's of an, it's, it's, it's an apocalyptic vision. Yeah. Which were popular back then too. It's scary. But I, a, a preacher that I had when I was a, a young rebellious man, and I questioned everything. You said, were what rebellious? Is Revelation? Oh my God. I said, what? What, is Revelation, what does Revelations mean anyway? And he said, it means that God wins. And I was like, okay, you shut me up. I like that. So I didn't <laughs> ask him any more questions about it. Yeah. I could, I could accept that. That's good. Yeah. And it's, it's creepy. Um, did you ever see that movie Legion? I'm, I don't know if I did. With Paul I don't... Bettany, Bettany, I think is how you say his name. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I did see that. Yes. Paul that Bettany. Um, he was in um, a couple of movies I was in. Um, I was in Secret Life of Bees with him. I had one line. And then I was Ace. in um, a Vampire something, um, Priest, a movie called Priest. Oh, and he yeah, was in that okay. too. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. I, yeah. I, Legion was a good movie. I liked, um, there was a movie that John Travolta did during that, those years when he was doing like every movie had John Travolta. Yeah. Well, he played an angel too. Michael. Um, yeah, Michael. I really mm -hmm. liked that too. I like wow, movies okay. about angels, light and dark. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was good. I haven't seen that one for a long time, so I don't remember all of it. I just remember him dancing. Remember he was in like overalls and he's like dancing. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that, but Legion kind of scared me, you know, because there was um, Paul Bettany played uh, Michael and then I can't remember the guy's name, but he played Gabriel and they're trying to wipe out humanity, but he's trying to save them because he believes that they're still yeah. good in us. And it's like all of the stuff was happening from Revelation. I was like, oh God, I don't even know what I would do. Like, that's just, you know, and, and that's the weird thing is like our, our popular vision of angels. It's like, oh, an angel. Great. But every time that they appear in uh, scriptures of various faiths, people are terrified. And the first thing usually that the angel has to say is fear not or in our vernacular, Hey, don't be afraid. Mm -hmm. So why would you say, Hey, don't be afraid. Unless there was something about an angel that just really struck fear into you. That's so, true. yeah, I think it would be awesome in the true sense of the word. Not, oh, that's awesome, but awesome, awe-inspiring to mm-hmm. see a, a, an angel. Like, there's a story in, there's a, it's in the New Testament. It's uh, the father, I can't remember his name, but he's the father of John the Baptist. Okay. It'll come to me tonight at 3 a.m. when it's too late. Yeah, and then you can just text and, me, okay, that's his name. <laughs> yes, and... Um, so the angel comes to him and says, you know, you're going to, your wife is going to give birth to a son and they're both very old. And, um, which is a theme in the Bible, like old people having miraculous births. And so you're going to give birth to your son and his name will be John and he's going to be great. And so he's like, even though he's a priest, he's like, well, how do I know that what you're saying is true? <laughs> and so the angel says, and excuse me, I don't mean to be sacrilegious, but the, the implication of what the angel says is, bitch really but what the what so it that you read it and you can just imagine today that's what the angel would say and what the angel says is i have come from the throne room of god to give you this news and because you did not believe me you will not be able to speak until the baby's born and instantly he can't talk and oh so my for the nine months of the pregnancy he can't say a word until the baby is born. Like, you don't mess with angels. Yeah, no, no. <laughs> Jeez, that's scary. I remember my aunt, because um, she, you know, I don't know what you believe in as far as like psychics and stuff, um, but my aunt is psychic. But my grandmother and my, well, I guess great grandma and great grandfather, um, he was a Pentecostal preacher down in Florida. So my great grandmother could see angels like, and she would tell you like these, these experiences that she's had. And I remember her always saying, you know, if you see an angel, don't be scared. You're not going to feel that fear. And Mm. so it kind of goes back to what you were just saying. Like, why would she say that? You know, there's got to be something that would scare you. Yeah. I don't think they're babies with wings. (laughs) They're not little cherubs. Flying around. Naked babies with wings. Why do naked babies need wings? And what can they do for you, the naked babies? Yeah, no. Yeah. They're cute, but yeah. <laughs> They're cute, but you know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, okay. So, question about uh, Gothic Goodnight. What did you, you started this when all of this quarantine started going on, right? Mm hmm. What, um, what made you decide to do it? I dreamed it. Really? Um, yeah. The best things that I've ever 
done in my life professionally, the Ray Bradbury show, uh, my portrayal of Jesus of Nazareth, um, are always dreams. And it's like a really insistent dream. Mm -hmm. So I dream sitting in the library and turning around and saying welcome and taking an old, really dusty book down and sitting down beside somebody and saying, let me read to you a little for a little while till you go to sleep. And it was just okay. so striking that that morning, I, I knew nothing about podcasts, mm -hmm. but I immediately educated myself with Google. And by that afternoon, I had an account set up, the page set up. And by that evening, I had the first episode done. I just had to do it immediately. Wow. That's awesome. Thank yeah. And I'm, I'm having fun with it. And um, the cool thing is you get people from all over the world. Uh, mm -hmm. who listen and it's pretty cool to think you know there's somebody in Bulgaria listening to this it's kind of this one world mm -hmm. feeling um, and plus there's like in England there's a tradition old tradition on Christmas Eve of telling ghost stories which okay. seems really weird to it seems really weird to us but it's it's calming uh, to hear these sort of dark tales and it pulls people together as a community mm -hmm. and um I get maybe it's like the hair of the dog that bit you like we're all really scared right now so mm -hmm. to be reminded that people throughout history have been scared and have written about being scared over and over again as a catharsis I think is is helpful wow that's awesome so it's almost like you kind of have visions in a way I don't know they're, they're dreams you. usually my dreams are random and disconnected but when I can remember something usually that's it's a good thing and I want to follow up on it. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of pointing you in like a direction of what you feel you need to do. Yeah. When I'm not laying awake, worrying about turning the hanger the wrong way, when I handed it to the wardrobe lady and she got mad and threw it down when I'm not worried about stuff like that. Did that really happen? It's supposed to go to the left. Yes. And I don't blame her because she told me that before. <laughs> Just like fix and, it and threw it down. And I did it wrong. And so, yeah, sometimes I lay awake and obsess about stuff like that. But other times I have dreams. <laughs> you handed me the hanger wrong, damn it. <laughs> exactly. Fix it, Bill. <laughs> Thank you. Is this the way I told you to hand me the hanger? No, it is not. It is not. Fix it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That's funny. Um so right before we started recording, I watched, so I had seen your um, posts on it, Handy Dandy, uh -huh. but I didn't know that it was available yet. But so I was going on to, I think I was on Amazon Prime. And so I had to watch it because I, you know, I've been waiting for it, but didn't realize it was, it was done. And that, I liked that movie a lot. Your character was good. I liked the uh, vent ventriloquist dummies that talk they're so gross kind of yeah kind of, <laughs> and it was fun sick. working with bill mosley he's cool and um if, <laughs> um mosley and i did two that year that one and three from hell mm -hmm. and uh, i can't remember if handy dandy was i think it was after three from hell i'm pretty sure it was because oh, he had okay. his hair was cut really short and he cut off his beard and everything but um bill made me laugh because uh, he got irritated with me. We were doing a, um, rightfully so, there's a shot at the end of that movie where we're both falling down into the abyss. Mm -hmm. Oh! Yeah. <laughs> so we, we were literally laying on a green screen and they were shooting us from overhead. 
and um, the director is like, just really go for it and really scream. And like, my mouth was about this close to Bill's ear. So I can scream really loud, Rhiannon. I mean, <laughs> really, I don't usually get to do it, but I can scream really loud, like okay. wall shaking loud. I'm proud of it. I have You're a, good a scream king. <laughs> yeah, I could be. So I scream one of my loudest screams ever. <laughs> and Bill said, Jesus, God, it's right in my ear. And I was like, oh, I wish they'd put that in the movie. <laughs> Did you I guys said, have oh, to I'm reshoot sorry. it? <laughs> sorry. And he's like, oh, he's never going to want to work with me again. <laughs> it, it reminded me of um, the time I worked with Jim Carrey um, on this uh, music video thing and for Funny or Die. And uh, I was supposed to, he had a gun and I was supposed to pull the gun out of his hand and he almost falls. And he was like, just go for it, dude. It'll be fine. So, of course, Clumsy Bill, I like grabbed it so hard that it pulled the Jim Carrey off his feet and he landed on his ass on the dolly tracks. So everybody on set, collectively, they went, oh, like this. And he got up and he said, that's right. Shit happens. It was my fault. And I told me you go wink, for it. And I was like, you are such a nice guy. Thank you. <laughs> so, yes. Did your heart like Always stop start when you fell? Huh? Well, I was like, well, I hope they pay me. <laughs> You're fired. Leave. <laughs> Always, always getting stars in trouble. Anytime there's a stunt or anything that involves um, a hit or a kick or physical violence on a set, I will hit someone, always. <laughs> or someone will hit me. Like, I'm just, I'm the clumsiest thing when it comes to that kind of stuff. Aww. I'm good when, I'm, I'm good, like, getting really close in people's faces and telling them that they're going to go to hell. Mm -hmm. I can do that really effectively. But if it's a complex stunt, like, yeah, okay, you just duck here and then you throw a right and then a left, always somebody's going to get hit or I'm going to get hit. <laughs> it's a funny business. You just warn them ahead of time. I'm probably going to hit you or you're going to hit me. So just go with it. Oh, yes. I, I remember an actor saying, I don't want to do this because Bill's going to hit me. And it was a punch <laughs> down where he was <laughs> shooting up at me. He's not even on camera. And I've just got to go one, two, one two over his face you know that thing where you're like you're looking up and the guy's hitting yeah and sure enough yeah clip the edge of his cheek <laughs> yeah this this scar right here is from a movie called assassins i did for mike bonomo and he wanted to do a fight sequence in one take uh like uh, on a dolly a long fight sequence and so we trained for this and we were doing our rehearsals in runyon uh, runyon canyon in la and um I missed a cue during the fight sequence and the guy's head <gasps> hit, hit right here. His skull hit right here and it split wide open. It was just gushing blood. Oh my gosh. So yeah. Dang. It's a part of the business. Yeah. What happened with that? Did they have to, did you have to get like stitches and stuff? I probably should have oh, got stitches, okay. but instead I just bandaged it up and we kept on working and, um, I never got anything done with it because I figured, eh, what's another scar on a face like this? Oh, gosh. So, yeah, I just used Scars it. are beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. So, being that it was uh, split open, did they have to, like, wait a while to finish production? 
Because if you have like a bandage and stuff. Yeah, they wrote it in. They wrote it into the um, oh. script. That's what you do when something like that happens. At least on a on a medium budget movie, that's what you do. If you had a whole lot of money, you could reshoot stuff. But yeah, you oh. write it in. Oh, what was I? Um, I just did a movie for Justin Benson and Aaron Moorhead called Synchronic. And we were shooting in Louisiana at night. It was a time travel sequence. And uh, I cannot even remember how I did this. Oh, it was at the hotel. I did my famous trick, which I always do in hotels. I like to sleep in complete dark, Rhiannon. Okay, I don't want any light. Oh, I don't okay. like light. I want Dang. dark. So because of that, when I get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, there's no light on. Oh. And I try to memorize the room beforehand. But in this case, I walked right into the tower rack and got a cut right under here that was bleeding. So when I got to set for that, we had already established how the character looked. So they had to bandage it and then put a piece of latex over it and then blend the latex in and put a bunch of dirt on it. Oh, Luckily, wow. we were shooting it. We were shooting at night and it didn't, uh, yeah, it didn't um, um, show. But, and then this scar is from a theatrical performance of Ray Bradbury's Pillar of Fire, where the night before, it was a two-room suite, and I didn't remember where the bathroom was, so I walked into the suite room instead of the bathroom, completely dark, fell over the edge of a couch, and hit my head on a marble ledge, and it was a, it was a gusher. It was gushing open, but I was determined to do the show. Oh, my so, gosh. Yep, this face tells stories. Jeez. So many stories. You're going to like end up knocking yourself out in the middle of the night. Nobody's going to know because you're like all alone and it's dark. I, and they'll just they'll find you the next morning. I don't, that poor old man. I just, he, he just, he must have just fallen dead in the middle of the night. Probably trying to do a Gosh. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Well, at least it doesn't stop you from, from continuing your work. <laughs> you're like, you I'm all bruised up and ripped up. I'm good. <laughs> You're talking to a man who passed out in an attic in Burbank shooting a low-budget horror movie. Was, they were doing a hanging gag in the attic where uh, my character is being hung, and we didn't have an actual hanging rig, so I'm just uh, doing this, you know, on my bending my knees to put enough pressure on it so they can get this shot from up here with the head swinging mm -hmm. like this. Well, I did it a little too aggressively, passed out, and I woke up on my back with the camera guy over me saying, you're all right, you're all right, you're all right, you're all right. I was like, well, what happened? And they said, you passed out. I said, did you get it? And they said, no, the focus was soft. And I was like, that's this business. I can't give you another one of those. And the focus was soft. Or, yeah, you, there's a boom in the shot. It's always something. <laughs> So you had to redo it. All right, let's do it again. <laughs> yeah, and it wasn't as good. Oh, man. For, for Trevor Yinger, now you got me on anecdotes. Just my last one, I promise. For Trevor Yinger in an um, art house horror movie, which I really like, called Coyote, Trevor was like, Bill, will you do real vomit? And I was like, yes, but how are you going to make me vomit? Ew. So he found this stuff, which they don't sell in the United States anymore. They used to sell it to make babies throw up. Ipecac. Yeah, so you yes. still get it in Europe. So he's got this bottle that's like eight years old from Europe. And a doctor said, it won't hurt you. It'll either work or it won't work. So we've got three cameras set up and Trevor's on the main camera looking right down the barrel at me. And I'm there 
uh, in the woods in boxer shorts and a coyote um, skin. It was art house. <laughs> and so I drink the stuff and we're waiting. And it says, you know, three minutes. And we get really close to three minutes and everybody's on their cameras. And I'm like, guys, I don't think this is gonna, what? It was like epic. It was a stream, many, many streams. Oh well, and Trevor laughed so much that his shot was soft and unusable. We got the other two angles. Oh no. But I gave Trevor hell about that because I said, you're the director and your shot was soft because you were laughing. <laughs> oh, that stuff is awful. I think they took it off the shelves because people were using it for like uh, bulimia. Yeah, maybe so. Oh yeah, the movie or the stuff? The stuff, the Ipecac. Oh yeah. It made some movies people could probably use for bulimia too. <laughs> Oh man, gross. <laughs> that stuff's disgusting. And you're not supposed to drink milk with it, supposedly. I don't yeah, know well, they it... filled me up with uh they filled me up with red Gatorade and red vines. And oh, okay. all of that came out. Oh. Yeah, it looked it it looked it looked so good that a couple of reviews said you could totally see the tube going up his back to do the throw up. And I was like, aha, there was no tube. That no was tube. real. You just you imagine that there must be a tube, but that was me. Yeah. See, there's your critics that are assholes. Yeah. You can totally see the tube that's not there. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, geez. That's ridiculous. Um, so I wanted to kind of run through. So like, a, you know, we were talking before you've been in, you know, 200 movies. So it's hard to like, list them all but some of the ones that i have seen and that i actually well not actually but that i really enjoyed um okay so we have handy dandy cirques of the dead three from hell scarier die hell's kitty children of sorrow abraham lincoln versus zombie death house haunting in salem your uh ray bradbury live forever like these are you have so many and so many are really good movies um is there as is there like one I'm sure it's hard for you to you know pick one, but is there like one movie that you absolutely love that you did or um, that stands out, I guess, in your mind that was like your favorite set to work on and the just your absolute favorite that you've done? Well, there are different ones for different reasons. Um, within the horror genre, the best set and the best character that I ever had was Criminal Minds. And I say the best set because they have the money and the time. Yeah to really, really do it right and spend time on the makeup and have special teeth made. And, you know, that was a high level experience. And the character um, that I played, who was Adrian Barbeau and Tobin Bells, the son, they were brother and sister, and I was the deformed result of their teenage union, who they gave up to some woman in the woods. But that character epitomized an archetype that I really like called the wounded monster the monster that society helped to create mm -hmm. the way we treat people who are different. And um, yeah, that was a, that was like an A-level set oh, just yeah. because we had time to uh, really develop the makeup and get every shot exactly right. In non-horror, there was a movie called The Retrieval, which Chris Eska did. I played a bounty hunter and it's set in the Civil War. It's a coming of age piece, um, beautiful performances by the lead actors. 
And that was probably one of the highest quality pieces ever in, in, in total, like all around mm -hmm. that I've ever been involved with. But, the, but there've been so many of them that for different reasons are yeah. memorable. Um, I like my art house horror. I like, I've really grown to like my art house horror. Mm -hmm. I like that. I like that genre. I enjoyed Coyote. I did one in Dis in Mexico, Adrian Corona's film. Have you seen that one? Which one? What is it? It's called Dis, D-I-S. I haven't um, seen it. I'm going to write this down. D-I-S. Okay. Unearth, Unearthed Films has it out. Adrian Corona is the director. It's very extreme, very brutal. It is not for the casual viewer, and it is not vanilla. Cool. It's okay. non-linear. It's psychological. Um, it's a very strange movie, um, very bizarre, um, but it's like a descent into hell. Wow. And I think it's only like uh, I think an hour long. Okay. Uh, but I, I I I love that genre. I like working with particular directors. Um, I like working with Trevor Inger. I like working with um, Billy Pond, mm -hmm. and hope to work with him again. Um, I like working with Adrian Corona. I like working with Mark Savage, who I've done two with now, Stress to Kill. And the follow-up to Stress to Kill is called Painkillers, and that deals with the opioid epidemic. And that'll be out this fall. We just wrapped it in Florida in January. So, yeah, when I think about sets and things, um, I like working with Edward Payson. Gosh, there's so many of them if I start naming them. I like working with directors that have a strong vision and don't want to compromise. Yeah. And you have to fight to get them to compromise. I like directors that want to do something that really they have no business wanting to do on the budget that they have, but they're going to try. That's the kind mm -hmm. of director I love working with. And all of those guys are like that, um, mm -hmm. who are going to give you excellence in every shot. I like a director who picks a, a cinematographer or a DP who cares about every shot, the composition, mm -hmm. the lighting, not just run and gun, but I like in Mark Savage's Painkiller, we did a shot where my character, um, whose daughter has died of opioid abuse, and uh, he's out to get somebody's ass for it. And he's on a vigilante rampage. Nice. And he's come back from one of these kills, and he, so he's in his uh, bathroom. Well, the bathroom that we were using had three mirrors, like one, two, three. Well, he wanted my face to appear in all three mirrors. So to get this, I have to stop at exactly the right moment when my face is in all three mirrors mm -hmm. and the focus pull has to be at that ex same exact second. And it was a very, very technical shot. And everybody in the room was holding their breath and very concentrated on getting this one shot. And we got it. Oh, good. And it made everybody really happy. And it's just one shot. It's just a couple of seconds in the movie and people won't even realize, oh, that's a cool shot but it adds to the quality. And that's the kind of people I like working with. Mm -hmm. Well, it's funny too, how you're saying like, um, you know, certain shots that are really hard to get. People don't understand how hard it is to get certain shots. You know, it's like, they're just watching the yeah. movie. I'm like, oh, that was cool. But it's, you know, some of these are really hard to get. And it's so fun <laughs> to watch, you know, like behind the camera, how they do it. You know, Particularly how you steady cam. Huh? Because particularly steady cam a lot of people now like to do um continuous steady cam shots mm -hmm. and you got to have well you steady cam operate a lot of times when they're moving backwards with a really heavy piece of equipment on them so somebody's got a guy holding it right wrangler 
yeah, and and um, the focus puller has got to be really, really good. Mm-hmm. There are focus pullers on Steadicam who are so good that if you've worked with them before, you know, give it all you got because they're going to get it on the first take. Then there mm-hmm. are others who you know, don't give everything you've got. Don't shoot the wad because it's going to take them two or three takes to get it. <laughs> um, and, and that's that's part of, yeah, that's part of the... Um, that's part of the teamwork and knowing who you're working with. Focus pulls are also very, very different. And the average person watching a movie doesn't think that as you move toward the camera, somebody has to be shortening the focus with every step. And then where you end, you've got to hit the exact mark. If it's called critical focus, if you're like in this close, mm-hmm. you can't, if you go this far, it's too much. This, it's not enough because they're set for that. So you have to find that. And then look just off in your peripheral vision, find something that you can know that, that that's where you are. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, yeah, it, it gets really technical. Like doing a love scene, they're always very technical because the shots have to be exact. Fight scenes are the same way. That's, I, I, but I really love the business because you have a lot of people in one room who really care about doing one thing really well. That's excellence. Yeah, definitely. Um, how you're saying you have to look for something to focus on. So Antonio Flores, our friend, um, we had done this movie called um, Demon in the Woods. It's not completed, you know, because he ended up um, moving and just stuff like that. But we shot half of it. And it's funny because that was the first thing I had ever, ever, ever done. So I'm nervous and I don't know what to do, you know, whatever. Um, so the makeup artists or well, the special effects artists, they were the ones that did all the demon makeup on me, or I guess basically I was a witch. Um, so I was all like burned and gross looking. So there was this van that was outside and, and this is actually around when I first met you, it was shortly after that. Um, so the makeup artists are standing on the side, like kind of the side of the van where I can see them through the window. And then Antonio's like, okay, you need to focus over there. You need to focus. And I'm thinking, I don't know where to focus. So the artists drew like the smiley face like in the in the window of the van and they're like and I was like oh okay so then I look like looked at them and they're like trying to make me laugh which I was so nervous I didn't laugh but you know I'm watching and so I was like that really helped (laughs) but it's funny because you have a hard time focusing on like where do I look what do I do and so they're like right here (laughs) absolutely right sometime I'll get a little piece of tape just outside of the lens and focus on it if they're doing a turnaround because the other actor they don't always if they haven't done this a lot they're not going to be there for you exactly they might be way over there why well, ain't looking over there so if you look over there my eyes look wonky mm-hmm. so i forget them listen to their voice but find the point somewhere near there i used to have real trouble finding my mark and um, then i read uh, something michael kane said it was brilliant and he said find your mark and walk backwards and then walk forwards and walk backwards forwards and backwards count the steps and then a, a really nice gaffer on a movie that I did before I figured out how to do this, I said, I can't find my mark. He said, Bill, where's your light? Aww. So we walked forward. He said, you feel that light? I said, yeah. He said, I put that light there for you. You find that light, you found your mark. And I was like, Aww. duh, I was o- I'm, I'm overthinking it, mm-hmm. right? But it's, again, it's part of the team effort. The gaffer has put that light there to make you look good. And if you, if you are shy of the light or you overshoot the light, you've messed up his work. So it's, it's, I don't, I don't see how people can be on their phones texting on Facebook right up until the second that they work 
And I've seen people who do this. Yeah. But I can't. I can't. I can't be doing anything else but that while I'm working. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. Um, I was going to ask you because, like, I was saying, you know, how I was really nervous and stuff. I mean, you know, I've done, I've done stuff um, short film wise, and um, I have like a full length that's coming out here soon. Um, I'm not in the entire thing, but I did have like a whole scene in there. Um, do Great. you still get nervous? Do you get mm-hmm. kind of anxiety and nervous and worked up still, even though you've done all these films? Always. If you don't, yeah. if, if you don't have some level of um, nerves, even if you're doing a calming scene, if you don't have some level of tension underneath, remembering everything you've got to think about while you're doing the scene, the scene will suck. Mm-hmm. If you ever say, oh, I'm, I'm fine. I got it. And you're talking to somebody and you're like, oh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a ham sandwich. Let me go do this scene. It's going to be the worst scene you ever did. Mm-hmm. Because you've got to be thinking of, there's your character, so many levels. There's your character. Then there's your eyes. Where's my eye light? Mm-hmm. Where's the limits of my light? Where are the edges of this frame? What's going to make, if it's a master shot, really think through what motions do I want to duplicate over and over again for inserts? What's going to look good? Mm-hmm. Um, and remembering if you're in a master shot and I do a bunch of weird stuff, lifting and putting down in my hands i have to remember every damn one of those or else i'm going to be embarrassed and saying could i see playback to see where i put my hand mm-hmm. um so yeah you've got so many levels of things to, and the sound guy also the sound girl might ask you if you can bump it up just a little but not too much on this line because it was a little low so you got all that stuff to think about you better be nervous mm-hmm because there's a lot riding on you, especially if the shoot's got money. Oh, yeah. If the shoot's got money, Rhiannon. By the time they bring you to set, they've had a stand in there. They've lit the scene. Everything's ready for you to pop in. And if your ass ain't ready, all eyes are going to be on you. So you better be nervous. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Because I was just always wondering that, you know, like people that have done it so often, and that is their full-time job, do they still get nervous? Do they, you know? And I think I had read someone... I somebody really big and I want to say Tom Cruise, but it might not be him um, that they still every time right before, and it might actually be Tom Cruise right before he walks out. He is very nervous and he's all working. Yeah. Because, because just because you did something right before mm-hmm. doesn't mean you can do it again. That's true too. It's like when I do a lot of theater performances and when I finish a theater performance, even if there's a standing ovation momentarily, you're elated. Then I have this horrible sinking feeling of, I can never do that again. I can never do this again. I, I shot my wad. That's all I have. I can't do this again. And you have to go through, if you have a show the next day, you've got to just not think about it for as mm-hmm. long as you can until you get back to the point of, okay. And it's the same way with a take. You have a really good take and then they want another one. And momentarily yeah. you, have, you have this feeling, I can't, I, I can't do what I just did. Yeah. So you don't have to do what you just did, but you do have to do something else. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it ain't heavy lifting or digging a ditch, but it's a job. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely a job. Um, so we're doing, do you know who Tony Newton is with uh, Vestra Films? Oh yes. Yeah. So I get to work with him. Good. Yeah. So I'm super excited. Um, but I, what I really find cool about it is you know as you know you know like I write and 
I like to be creative and stuff like that. So he's allowing us with, um, cause I believe there's like three films that I'm doing with him. Um, we get to kind of come up with our own thing that we want to do. It just has to be a certain style of footage. Um, and I, I really like, I'm trying to think, you know, like I love when, you know, a director hands you a script and you get to go through it and, you know, develop the character, but this is cool too, because I feel that you get to really use your creativity and kind of write something the way that you would portray a character. And so yes. I'm super excited to do that. Yes. That's great. Yeah. You're braver than I am. My name is Chris. <laughs> You're a writer. You can do it. <laughs> Yeah, but if I haven't written it out beforehand, I need to go in a corner. If if lines have to be reworked, I need to go in a corner and, and memorize what I'm saying. I'm I'm no yeah. good without a script. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I guess that's kind of true too. Um, so I didn't really like with the first one that we just did, it's um mystery box. Well, it's dark web mystery box. So I have a director friend here that remember back when I did uh TV here and I was a horror host for a show mm -hmm. on tv so he's the one that Which found me huh i love thank you but he's the one that found me and got me the job basically so then when tony had made his post and i reached out to him i was like i got to use this guy because he's for one one of my best friends but two i know i'll be comfortable with him i know he's creative and i know he'll get done what i want to get done so we're mm -hmm. doing all of them together which is super cool to work with him again but um we didn't write anything out we just kind of did like an outline so it's pretty much all well, the first film, at least it's all pretty much yes. improv. And so I thought that was kind of cool. I was like, well, that was fun. You know, it's like you get to be kind of more you and natural and just kind of say what you feel like you would really say. Yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. so I thought that was cool. <laughs> it is. Um, what was I going to ask you? So with uh, Death House, so Bill Mosley was in that too, right? Yeah, that was supposed to be the Expendables of Horror. They had loads of us in there doing so cameos. Many people, so many people were in that. So you've yeah. done three films with him then. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that one because we didn't have a scene together. D. Yeah. Wallace and I are always in movies together. That's cool. Uh, without scenes together. In fact, we were in Pitts, Edward Payson's film that I was talking about. And I said, hey, D, we were in three things last year and we didn't have scenes together. And I referenced one of them and she said, what was I in that? And I said, you were the mother. And she said, I'm always the mother. I said, what would you really like to do, Dee? And she said, she'd really like to do something with some dramatic teeth in it. And uh, there's so many uh, actors who uh, like that, who have really, really strong dramatic chops, but they get picked for one type of role over and over and over and over and over and over. And um, don't get to expand their talents. Many, many actresses. What is like that called? That. Typecasting, right? Is that what it's called? Yeah, yeah, and it's good because people get to work. But um, yeah, particularly when people have sort of a name, you know, people should take a chance on letting them do something different sometime. Oh, definitely. But it's a business, and the reason that you get attached to a movie, the only reason anybody's ever going to attach you to a movie and pay you to do it, is that they think that your name might help their distribution oh, yeah. so it, it, it makes sense that they want you to do what it is that you do mm -hmm. yeah that everybody is familiar with you doing yeah yeah mm -hmm. that's why for a time there you know bruce willis was doing loads and loads of movies and if you wanted to attach bruce willis to your movie it cost money but if you wanted bruce willis on the cover 
of your DVD box holding a gun, you paid through the butt. Really? That was the money shot. Oh yeah, that was the money shot because they knew that back when you know there were video stores and you're just scanning the, the rows, you see Bruce Willis with a gun on the cover of a DVD at that time, it's going to rent really well. Wow. And they knew it. So yeah, you had to pay extra to get him to hold a gun. Dang. Shit, and rightfully cool, so, you know, that's his thing. Yeah. Um, remember Death Becomes Her? Yeah, I really like that movie. I love that movie. It took me so long, though, to know that was Bruce Willis. <laughs> yeah, he was like, great had... in it. And that was something completely different. Oh, yeah. That was during the period when he was doing all the action movies, and he did something completely different. Did one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think, gosh, I want to say maybe like nine or ten years ago is when I figured it out. I was like, that's Bruce Willis. I had yeah. no idea. And I own the movie, and I have never, I had never put that together. But it just shows. I mean, he did great. I love that. I love that movie. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> oh man, that's awesome. Um, so I did look up because we're both on My Indie Productions, which they're they're amazing. I love them so much. They are absolutely amazing. So when you were coming on as an artist, Atai actually wrote me and he's like, So I got some news for you. And I was like, Oh yeah, what is it? And he's like, We're gonna be adding somebody that I think you know very well. And I'm like, well, who is it? And so, you know, he ended up telling me who it was, but I couldn't say anything to anybody, obviously, because it was supposed to be a surprise. But I was so excited that you were going to be on there. I thought that was super cool. And our pictures are right there by each other. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> and for, I was like, uh, I'm next to him. <laughs> for your viewers who don't know, Rhiannon and I have been wanting to work together for a while. And we've been uh, attached to a couple of projects that didn't happen. So yeah say a prayer that that happens i think we'd be really good together i think we would too that is like my dream i want to work with you so bad so so bad (laughs) so we got to make it happen somehow and i would be really nice on set too i would be too i don't bitch either good Good. i'll I'll die i'll get bloody it helps if there's spinach or kale it helps but i don't complain (laughs) unless there's no coffee if there's no coffee, I did a shoot once, which shall remain nameless, but we were in a state park at night and it was going to be an overnight shoot, like at 11 o'clock call time and the crafty table set up and there's energy drinks and red vines and, you know, the usual stuff. And uh, there's a coffee pot and I pick it up and it's empty. And I look down at the, like the plug and it ain't plugged in. And then I look for the plug and there's nothing to plug it into. Oh, no. And, um, I was like, guys, you know, young guys. Yeah. He said, oh, no, dude, we got Red Bulls. I was Ugh. like, guys. Gross. You know, you you got a couple of old guys here, and you got to get us some coffee. Yeah. I can't work all night without coffee. So, yeah, uh, yeah I won't complain unless there's no coffee. Okay. So, I'll bring the coffee, the kale, and what was the other thing? Spinach? Is that what you said? Yeah, spinach and or kale. If there's both, oh, my goodness, oh. what a wonderful set. Okay, I'll bring it all. Yeah, a little <laughs> greens, you know, a little yeah. greens are nice. <laughs> I'm like, bring the candy and the donuts and the cookies, <laughs> cereal, cereal's great. <laughs> when people walk around on set with donuts and they're like, oh, you want one? I always feel bad. And so I take a half of one, but then I throw it away secretly mm-hmm. because that's the worst thing you can eat on a movie set is that that kind of junk is just going to get you really, really hepped up. But invariably, you 
they won't need you until you're on the sugar downside. And then you're all tired. And when and you're bloated. crashing. Yeah, when you're <laughs> crashing, that's when they're going to want you. And you, yeah. yeah. So stick to like fruits and vegetables and stuff are good. Fruit's good. I like fruit. We can do yeah. fruit. And maybe I'll eat some kale. Yeah, nice. Bring kale chips. Yeah. <laughs> Those are super good. <laughs> but um, I saw the trailer for The Good Things Devils Do. Yes. That looks badass. Yeah, it might be. We'll see. Um, the footage looks pretty good so far. It's set at Halloween. Nice. And uh, yeah, I play a criminal and um, Kane Hodder's in it and we target a house to break into, but it's the wrong house because there's something really evil in it. And uh, so, yeah, it's, um, I, I, I think it, I think it may turn out to be really good. I think so. Well, you're in it. Of course, it's going to be good. And Kane is so sweet to work with. He's is really, he? real. he's really nice. And he's a strong, he's another one that's a very strong dramatic actor. Mm-hmm. And if I, if I had my brothers, I'd write something for him that um, was almost strictly dramatic and not having play a badass because uh, he's got that in him. You know, I've been lucky because I've had some stereotypical roles, but lately, I've had roles that allow me to do what I really like best, which is sort of the wounded monster thing, you know, where there's a combination of um, woundedness and malevolence together. Mm-hmm. For me, that's the gold standard. And, uh, and I, I like playing that and I play it really well. Yeah. Nice. Oh, cool. See, so the movie we write, you can write that part that you want and then you can write a part for Kane Hodder. Yeah, we, put D. We, Wallace in it for sure. Yeah, there you go. See, we really, really, really got to do something though. Well, you know, yeah, and Bill Mosley is another one. Um, oh my gosh, yes. Mosley played Abraham Lincoln in a short film. We were talking about that because I did Lincoln and Abraham Lincoln yeah. versus Zombies, and Mosley's a damn good Lincoln, really good. Is he? So yeah, 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 he's really good. Nice. So many, there's the many, many actors in our genre are really versatile and they've just gotten kind of locked into doing uh, horror Mm -hmm. that's true um well i had noticed you know with handy dandy he doesn't play a bad guy well no yeah yeah not the normal bad guy i guess yeah i thought that was pretty cool too because i was like wow because normally you see him as the crazy guy or the bad guy or you know chop top i mean he's you know he normally plays the creepy characters and he wasn't so I was like, oh, that's, that's different. <laughs> and he's good. He's really good. Yeah, he's excellent. Such a nice guy, too. Is he? There's so, so many people in our genre are really good human beings, and they're kind. And you mm-hmm. wouldn't think that, you know, given the roles that everybody plays. Mm-hmm. But I think maybe it's because we face death over and over again in story form. And it makes us more aware of uh, the shortness of life and the importance of being kind to each other. Mm-hmm. You, you know, I've been so many sets where this awful carnage is going on on set. And as soon as it's over and they yell cut, everybody's like, oh, you know, oh, are you okay? Or let me give you a hand. Everybody's always really eager to snap out of that dark world mm-hmm. and to lend support to each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I was going to, since you were talking about darkness, um, Circus of the Dead, when you played Papa Corn. So are you, are you a method actor? Do you really try being that character as you're preparing for it? 
or is it, you know, you do your lines, memorize them, figure out how you want the character, but then you're, you're kind of normal throughout everything else. Well, I'm, I'm not good enough to be a method actor, but hard. I'm also not good enough to do, I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. I can't do two things at once. I'm very, very, very single focus. Mm -hmm. So yeah, when I play a character, I don't really know how to act. I'm not a good actor. Don't like say that. Said, okay, You're amazing. But look, no, what I mean, Rhiannon, is if somebody said, okay, do an improv where um, you play a car. I can't, I don't know how to do that. But all I do know how to do is to become other people for periods of time and make people believe that I'm the other person. Mm -hmm. That's all I can do. So I have to become the character or I can't work. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, yeah, that's what I do. And Papa Corn was, uh, besides Father Simon and Children of Sorrow, he was the darkest, most disturbing character I'd ever played because he doesn't believe in anything. Yeah. But you have to surrender to that. Um, there's a great shot of that movie where Billy Pond has me up against the wall, pinned in by his hands in a convenience store and Billy's leaning into me. And I remember that moment, um, Tiffany Brooke Fest was on the floor and I was getting ready to have to um, get Parrish Randall, put a gun in Parrish's hands, put it in Tiffany's mouth and shoot her. Mm -hmm. And um, Billy was psyching me up for that. And yeah, you just have to surrender to the character, what the director wants, and to the mood of that moment. Mm -hmm. Again, it's not digging ditches, but it's also not something that you can just jump into and say, oh, that was fun, because you're, you're surrendering yourself emotionally to a really dark world, and it takes a while to get out of it, and sometimes it leaves a scar. Mm -hmm. Is that one of them that left a scar, you feel, mm -hmm. knowing how dark Father he Simon. was? Mm -hmm. Father mm -hmm. Simon left his car um, because he lied about everything. Even his, when he said, okay, now I'm telling you the truth. He was lying. Mm -hmm. uh, Papa Corn left his car because Papa Corn doesn't really believe in anything. And the reason both those characters left scars is because I, I, I fear, I greatly fear being the person who lies about everything and not even knowing when I'm lying because mm -hmm. I was that person in high school. I was very unpopular and I learned that I could make people believe things. So Aww. we just made stuff up. And, uh, and I do have strong beliefs, but you know, at 3 a.m., the devil voices whisper to you, nothing matters. Nothing matters. And everything that you think is important, everything you cling to is a lie. And Papa Coin celebrates that. That is Papa Coin's voice. Mm -hmm. So yeah, both of those roles are very personally affecting and to, to inhabit what I fear the most, uh, yeah, it 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 takes a toll on you, which is why people shouldn't just go on IBD and give the movies once. Exactly. Yeah. No, it takes a lot out of actors. It takes a lot out of everybody sometimes on the sets. You know, it's um. So I had done this. It's a short film. Do you know Christopher Inlow? I don't think so. Um, I'm trying to think. I know he's. I'm sure he's worked with people that you know. I mean, we're such a small community. It's funny how many people are connected. Um, but yeah. he is also my co-host on here. We do, um, so like a couple weeks ago, we did, uh, we had Jeffrey Reddick on here, the yes. Final Destination writer. Um, but we did a short film that, you know, I know it, it's, it's, it's a fan film basically, um, but it's a Friday the 13th fan film. And I know tons of people are doing them, but we went kind of like a, a time piece so it was back in the 1950s when Jason was little and it kind of dives into what made him how he is. 
Um, it's not mm -hmm. out yet, obviously, but um, I had to do a scene where I had to cry and I'd never mm -hmm. had to cry on, on camera before. And so I was so nervous to have to do that because I don't, I don't cry that easily unless it has to do with my family or animals. If it's animals or my family, I cry easily. But if it's just like kind of make yourself cry instantly, that was hard. So what I did is I ended up having to watch a video, like videos I really didn't want to watch, you know, that had to do with animals, but that was all I could think at that moment being on the spot. Like I have to cry in like two seconds. That's mm -hmm. the only thing I could think that would make me just uncontrollably start bawling. And that was, that was hard to do that. But then afterwards mm -hmm. you're like, all right, I, I can do it. Like I did it. It sucked how I had to do it, but I can do this. Mm. <laughs> but yeah. It was animals. Animals make me cry. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. Me too. Mm -hmm. um, so I had asked you earlier about your favorite horror movie what is that movie? There are many of them, but if I only had to choose one quickly, I would choose The Exorcist, uh, which is a lot of people's choice. And I guess the same reason a lot of people like it. Uh, it's, uh, it's not enjoyable. Um, it's not a movie that I'm going to watch over and over again and go, oh, my God, I love, let's watch The Exorcist again. I love it. <laughs> because it scares the hell out of me. Mm -hmm. Because, again, it touches on what I believe, which is that there's good. And there's evil, and uh, sometimes they're in conflict. And that's a movie where good and evil are uh, perfectly matched up against each other. And at the end, you don't know which one won. Mm -hmm. And uh, for me, that makes it the perfect horror movie, even though it's not really a horror movie. The, the threat is completely unseen, and there's so much ambiguity about the threat. And I like that very much. It's even more so pronounced in the book is that Father Karras, uh, who's a skeptic, there's a lot of evidence that this really is not a demonic possession um, because oh. the, the language is actually just Latin spoken backwards, um, so forth and so forth. But then there's evidence that it is too. So with him, you wrestle with this. And then you have Father Marin, who's the complete true believer. And he's long ago dropped his doubts mm -hmm. he believes firmly that he knows this evil he's seen this evil before and he's just going to continue no matter what happens if you throw up on his stole he's just going to wipe it from his face get another stole and keep going Ew. and um so yeah it was um it affected me strongly when i saw it and every time i've seen it since it has mm -hmm. but it's not a movie that i would watch uh, casually, but I guess that's probably my favorite because of the strong effect. To mm -hmm. me, it defines it defines terror. Yeah. Did you watch it when it first came out? Like when yeah, it was in was, theaters and everybody was freaking I, out over it? I watched it on the, it was re-released a few years later and I was still too young to get into the theater, but the woman who ran the theater let me in. Oh. And I, I wasn't supposed to be watching it. I think I told my, I rode my bike there and told my mom I was watching something else. Oh, geez. And, um, and watched it. And, uh, I still have, like, when I came home that day, I, I drew the poster um, just because I wanted to, like, stay in the world of it. And I, I still have that folded up in one of my books. was, you know, The Exorcist. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was terrifying. Dang. Especially to see on a big screen in a dark, darkened room. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm still really scared to watch that. I, I have watched so many horror films, but that is the one I will not watch. 
And I, back when we had our other show, they kept telling me, you're going to watch it. You're going to watch it. Cause you know, we're going to have people on that we're in it. And this is like, I'm not watching it. I know what it's about and I'm not watching it because I was raised Pentecostal and you know how we we're talking about my great grandfather earlier. Um, you know, he did exorcisms in the little small chapels in you know, the deep South of Florida and mom witnessed a lot of that kind of stuff. And so I was always raised, don't watch it. Don't watch it. Don't watch it. This is going to, you know, they always instilled fear in you. You know, if you watch it, this is going to happen. If you watch it, this is going to happen. And it's like, I'm terrified because if I do watch it and then that happens, I was warned not to watch it. <laughs> you can, like, um, you know, I, I'm not a person who believes that every instance of odd behavior is a demonic possession. Mm -hmm. Um, they're rare from what I have read and researched, um, and many, many times it's, that's not what it is, but there are those few cases where truly something from beyond our world, whatever it is, seems to be influencing, mm -hmm. um, this behavior. And those are the, yeah, those are the particularly terrifying ones, because huh. if there is really really strong evil that comes from outside of us if if that is true and if you accept that then there must also be really really strong good that That's comes true. out of us yeah. and then that leads you down a whole um path within yourself of which am i accepting which am i letting into my life and um yeah, it's, I mean, I, I, I think it's kind of, it's silly the way most people have a very surface understanding of, um, you know, the devil with horns who whispers on your shoulder and that kind of thing. I don't, mm. I, I, I don't think it's that at all. Um, but there is, I believe, uh, something that comes from outside of us that's good and something that comes from outside of us that's evil. Mm -hmm. And we can make we can make space in our life for either one of those right yeah it's whichever you choose to let take over i suppose or or both at different times in your life yeah it's certainly been the case for me and i guess for most of us mm -hmm. yeah i know i'm just like i'm always scared of it for the longest time i wouldn't watch anything that had to do with possession because mom and grandma scared me so bad where i was just like i don't want to watch it or like if there would be a movie that you didn't know had a demonic thing in it and then all of a sudden they start doing like those voices like you can hear like the demonic growls and talk and like the words i would like cover my ears so I, and like kind of hum so i didn't have to hear it <laughs> mm. and mom was always like in books you know if it says something that's you know in a different language don't read it skip past that part because you could be invoking so i was like oh my gosh so now i do that too if it's in a book i'll read past it really quick it's like i don't want to make it happen <laughs> mm. <laughs> all right well, is there anything that I missed movie-wise or something that you're working on currently that you would like to mention before we wrap it up? I think we have covered everything. Um, I just want to thank your viewers for tuning in, thank them for supporting what you do and supporting those of us in the indie horror industry who try to keep this genre alive in the face of um, mega, mega, mega budgets. Um, which seem to be the only things that will be in movie theaters in the future. Thank you for supporting our work, supporting what we do, and um, 
and encouraging us as we continue to sort of delve into the darkness. I think uh, a world without fear and without stories about fear would be a more dangerous place because we wouldn't have an outlet for a lot of the violence and the darkness that we feel. So mm-hmm. thank you for, um, thank you to your viewers for supporting us and encouraging us. We, 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 we promise to scare you, but we also promise to be nice. Yes, we promise we'll be nice sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, so if you want to let everybody know real quick where to find you and where to find your projects, um, website, Facebook, anything that you're on. If, if they wanted to find me. Of course they want to. A deba- it's a debatable proposition. But if they <laughs> wanted to find me. They could go to billoverse.com and then there's links from there to my podcast and everything else I do. Um, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and I'm Bill Oberst Jr. And I usually write in complete sentences. And he spells um, good too. <laughs> I, I work so hard on my post and try to get the sentences right. And I was very heartened actually to read recently in the New York Review of Books that insurance companies have quietly begun using Facebook to help determine uh, the policies that they offer people because excessive use of exclamation points indicates reckless driving. I saw you posted that. (laughs) Yeah, because I'm always really careful when I use an exclamation point. Like I only want to use one and then I say, okay, I only want to use one per post. Uh If I say, thanks, Rhiannon, I do want to say, like thanks Rhiannon uh-huh. and then I don't also want to say thanks Rhiannon I look forward to seeing you soon thanks some I don't want to use three sometimes I'll use two but I put a sentence in the middle <laughs> so anyway if, if you follow me on social media or you interact with me you can write any way you want and I will not care uh, but just put up with me using my little complete sentences I can't get over it I haven't learned how to use emojis yet and I'm not sure I want to and he hates lol don't do lol I don't understand it. <laughs> I don't understand it. I got, I still get like, hey, uh, turned on the TV and saw you on Screen Queens, LOL. What does that mean? Are you amused? Because it wasn't supposed to be funny. I don't get it. And then somebody said it's like a nervous chuckle. <laughs> it's like but you don't know you, how to end the sentence. Thanks for coming on. Talking, <laughs> LOL. If you were talking to somebody that had a nervous chuckle, it'd be like, "Hey, Rhiannon, <laughs> sure, I'm glad to see you. <laughs> I was on your show, <laughs> and I really like watching it. <laughs> it would be irritating as hell." <laughs> so I don't want nervous chuckles in my text either. I just don't understand it. I'm too old for all of it. <laughs> just send me a letter with a stamp. And I'll shuffle out to my mailbox in my bedroom slippers and I'll, and I'll read the letter. There you yeah. Go. And then I'll send a, I might send a postcard back. Who knows? You're like, maybe, maybe I'll do it. Maybe not. <laughs> I, I really enjoyed all these years I, later. I hate LOL. I don't understand it. <laughs> don't understand it. I don't, but yeah. Yeah. So Thank you so much for having me on. I really, really love you. And I really do you. want to work with you. I hope somebody watching will help make that happen if we don't. And um, yes. And thank you for what you do for the, the genre. I think you're great, Rihanna. Thank you. Thank you so much. Um, so I want to thank you as well for coming on. Thank you for always, always being my friend and just being an amazing, amazing person. Even your posts are always so uplifting and just you're an 
you're so incredible and I love you as well. And I'm just glad that you're part of my life. Um, I do want to do a couple shout outs real fast. Um, I want to yeah. thank crazy ink publishing for publishing my books, broken halo and broken halo blood curse. Both are available on Amazon right now. And my third one in the series will be out in January. Um, I want to thank my indie productions. Bill and I are both part of them as featured artists. They do a lot for the indie community. So definitely show them love, follow them on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, their website. There's so many great artists on there and they really work hard to get us out there and get our work out there. So yeah. thank you to them. Um, I want to thank Johnny Daggers for my intro and outro and some of my artwork and my logo. Uh, Matthew Price Thompson with MPT Graphics for doing my artwork as well. Chris Atella for doing my outro music and then some of my promotional music that I use. Um, also my co-host Christopher Inlow. Um, we have, we kind of part-time co-host, so we'll be having some shows here coming out soon that he's a part of as well. Um, Johnny, or I said Johnny Daggers. Sorry, Johnny. <laughs> um, check out Horror with Sir Sturdy. He is who started me podcasting and I've been a special guest on there. He's been a special guest on here. So definitely check him out. Uh, YouTube, Twitter, Facebook, all of that stuff. And Bud Vino, who he does radio, podcasting, YouTube. He does all of that as well. He's also part of Custody Matters Live, where he fights for parental rights and he just brings awareness to the whole situations. Um, and with that, I am done. But I do want to thank you again so much, Bill, for coming on with me. You're, you're always so much fun and I've been so excited for this. So, Thank you. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you. God me bless too. you. God bless you too. And we will talk to you soon. Bye. Bye.